I'm Charlotte Rackett and I'm the HR manager for a company called Profusion. We are a data science consultancy. Okay, so you're all about data collection and strategy and analytics and what to do with them. Yes. And you did a trial of wearable tech in your own organisation. Tell me how that worked. So one of our data scientists decided that he'd like to do this. We asked for volunteers. Probably in the end about 65%, 65-70% of the employees took part to do what was basically a 10-day pilot. So this is 30-40 people wearing this kit for 10 days? Yeah, 10 days, 24 hours a day. And you measured an incredible array of metrics, didn't you? We did. Tell me about that. Something like 170. What sort um, of things? All sorts of things, ranging from people's general demographics through to their emotions, their stress levels, calories burnt, where they were, what they were doing, how they felt, so their emotions. And you did all this with a Fitbit? So we did, it was a combination of the data from the Fitbit and a questionnaire, which they filled out. And what did you get from this? An awful lot of data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wearable tech. Everyone's talking about it. Millions of people already use it. So what's all the excitement about? Wearable technologies, first and foremost, is a source of data. It's a, a method, if you like, a tool for collecting data. Uh, I think the, not obsession, probably the wrong word to use, but um, excitement uh, with data is something that we've observed um, over the past few years. But for me, the main question is, uh, what do you do with this data? Ksenia Zildukova is Research Advisor at the CIPD. I think a useful analogy here is the employee engagement service that have been going for some years, a a decade at least. And organisations are currently sitting on loads of self-reported data, so employees expressing their opinions on what what they desire in the workplace, what makes them happy in their jobs. But I'd say only a few companies actually done anything about that data because the levels of employee engagement are still fairly low. Do you use wearable tech? I do. I'm a geek. (laughs) Self-confessed geek. (laughs) Dr. Richard McKinnon might be a geek, but he puts it to good use. He's Insight Director at the Future Work Centre, which does research into work and psychology, and he's been looking at the pros and cons of wearable tech for employers. At a general level, employers could learn a lot more about the well-being of their employees. They could learn a lot more about where they are, how much they're moving. Um, They could learn about things like stress. They could also learn about how people are learning through the use of virtual reality or augmented reality technologies, uh, how much time they're spending on their learning and so on. So at this stage, there are lots of opportunities for them to learn about the employees if they're using this technology. I think the other question is, what would they do with that data? Ah, this is a recurring question. So what did Charlotte do with her information glut at Profusion? We learned that if you're more stressed, you're likely to move less. You're you're more likely to be kind of quiet and still if you're stressed. One of the other things that I really picked up on was that people really enjoyed learning about themselves and actually having that opportunity to to live a healthier life because it kind of motivated them. I kind of picked up on that and decided that actually one of the things that I wanted to do as a business was create a, a wellbeing strategy, basically. Probably the most important thing that I introduced was actually a a new benefit, which was the employee cash plan, which has got access to counselling and having health screens. And you've probably come across them. The basis for introducing that was the fact that we'd done this study and we felt like these were things that we could really give to our employees. And are people taking it up? Yeah, it's got like 100% take up. But there's always more than one way of slicing up the data. So leaping to firm conclusions can be a mistake. 
A useful example here is um, employee turnover. This is the type of data that uh, many organizations have today, and they will be able to comment on the trends of whether their turnover is going up or down. But um, what do low attrition rates really mean? Does it mean that you're really good at attracting and retaining your employees? Or does it mean that your employees can't find jobs anywhere else? They're not employable. Uh, same with um, the data that comes from wearable technology. If you notice that uh, your people are taking a lot of breaks, does it mean that they're uh, not working hard enough? Or does it mean they're really good at work-life balance and they're managing their, their working day uh, more efficiently? So it is really about interpretation and uh, practitioners who are able to use the data effectively uh, will certainly benefit from that. Yes, because as you say, it's um, the data is by no means as clear as it might appear. You know, measuring people's steps suggests they're busily rushing around doing things, but what are they doing and are they and are they are these good measures exactly and i think work that we are doing in our valuing your talent research is a useful tool for practitioners to use what it does it allows to have a thoughtful approach to the types of data you collect but also about the frameworks you use to analyze that data so what are the outcomes you're interested in what are the fundamental benefits for the organization for the employees for the customer for the society even that you would like to derive with your work activity and do you collect adequate data to ensure that that value chain is really working. Fitbits, virtual reality, smartphones, there's a lot on offer. For some, this all plays into deep fears about living in a surveillance society. But the fact is, many of us are already collecting and making data about ourselves public without even realising it. I would argue that the vast majority of the population underestimate how much data they're giving away on a daily basis through the use of loyalty cards, social media... You know, this is an extension of that, but I, I think it's one that needs more attention because it's about the employment relationship. And that's very big for the majority of people who work. It could arguably change the balance of that relationship in both parties' eyes. Yes, it depends how far it's pushed, doesn't it? I came across organisations monitoring sound waves in their employees' voices, mm. apparently for stress. Mm. But it does sound a bit like spying, doesn't it? That, I mean, if you didn't know that was happening... Yeah, that, that's that's quite a difficult one. If you knew that was happening, what we might see is the, the Hawthorne effect. People would change their behavior because they know they're being monitored. And that's no longer an accurate measure. If you're told we're going to be measuring your productivity, what, what will people do? They'll change to look more productive. And therefore, you're not measuring productivity. You're measuring what people do while they're being monitored. And that 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 throws the whole data gathering exercise into doubt. Studies suggest that in any workforce there will typically be about a third of employees who are enthusiastic about this sort of data collection, a third who are ambivalent and a third who really dislike the idea. Did you get any outright pushback from anyone? There were people that didn't want to take part. But were there people who were um, dubious about the idea of it? I mean, I didn't personally. I didn't partake in the study. Did you not? Why not? I don't know. I think I was I was one of the, the fell in the camp of I'm not I'm not sure I want to report on my emotions. But I think if I, I did, you know we do it again I will. Yes, yeah, so as an HR there's quite a lot of front end work isn't there even introducing a small scale short lived program like this mainly I'm guessing around conversations. Yes, and that is the most important thing and it's it's what you need to do to make these kind of programs successful is you need to communicate what you're doing why you're doing it and what why that's going to be for the good of the employee and I think that's that's the really kind of the critical bit really. and the limits of the data yeah. usage presumably yeah. because they're obviously in other organizations in other countries 
particularly the States, lots of issues around where does this data then go? Does it follow me around from job to job? Does it, you know, who has access to it? How will it be crunched? All that sort of stuff. So ring fencing, the kind of limits of your current project. Yes, important. so people knew that we were using it just for for this purpose and people trust us I mean we've we've built a culture on kind of honesty and transparency and people trust us if you don't trust the people that are doing this for you on you then that is potentially a problem so far i'm left wondering why would employees agree to this well why would they say yes is a really interesting question because one of the um phenomena that's been studied over the last few years is is precisely that and it might be that employees say yes because their employer asks it's not a partnership of equals. Um, the employer is paying them every month. So it might be a, a sense that they, they feel there's reciprocity going on. If you give me this fitness tracker, I need to say yes, and then I need to do something else because I, I fear the consequences if I say no. And this is why one European government has already banned organisations from even asking employees to wear tech. The Dutch uh, Data Protection Commissioner has already come out and said that organisations shouldn't offer wearables because it's an imposition. Shouldn't even offer them? Well, if you offer it, they'll feel they need to do something in return. I was going to say, what do you think about that? That seems quite harsh. I'm not a fan of one-size-fits-all solutions. But when an organisation says, we're all going to do this or we're all not going to do this, you lose the diversity of your workforce. You're not thinking about the groups that might benefit or might be hampered. The benefits for, for, for employees of using this technology are that it might make them more mindful about how active they are, if it gives them feedback, if it gives them actionable feedback. Um, it can give them an insight into how their time is spent. It can give them an insight into health metrics that the average person wouldn't have access to. Um, of course, if they get this information, they need to be able to A, understand it, and B, act on it. And I think what, what may be front of mind for them is privacy. What's being done with this data and what are the consequences if I'm not moving around, if I don't look healthy to my employer? There has been some pushback in certain workplaces for mm -hmm. employees about this. Unsurprisingly, journalists mm -hmm. being particularly um, reluctant to do it. I think Telegraph instituted um, some monitors on journalist desks, which they were told were about energy efficiency, about mm -hmm. making the building more en energy efficient. Um, there was pushback there. They felt that they were being monitored. Um, the culture of some organisations is such that people clock on and clock off, and therefore their employer knows when they arrived and when they left. I think this is a significant step beyond that kind of monitoring because it's at the individual level about their physical movements, for example. And that can feel very big brother, and so if an organization wants to do this, my, my suggestion would be take a step back and ask, why do we want to do this? What are the anticipated benefits to this? And what might happen if we get this wrong? So not simply deploy the technology and hope for the best. Does the idea of, I mean, this sort of monitoring at its very basic level, it strikes me it plays a bit into presenteeism, doesn't it? I mean, monitoring how much someone is at their desk. This is a very old-fashioned measure, isn't it? What are they doing at their desk? Absolutely, and productivity is very difficult to measure. So it, it could be a proxy for productivity. Who's here and when are they here? Um, if people perceive that being tied to some kind of performance measure, well, I think it's inevitable that they'll spend more time there. But will they be working? Or might it drive some unhealthy competition? Now, you can have that when you're monitoring movement and, and steps. You could have people feeling, I want to beat my own target from yesterday. That's fine. But if there's a, a, you know, a league table and everyone's doing things to increase their step count rather than focusing on the job at hand, that's not really helpful to the organization. Imagine working in a sector where there's a lot of problems and there's the risk of redundancies. How might that be interpreted? 
by the the workforce. If I don't move enough, might I lose my job? Oh, might I go on a list? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there can be unintended consequences, and we need to examine some of the other ethical questions too. If we look at the possible rights and responsibilities of employers and employees in in this particular context, one thing or one lens we can consider is the individual well-being in its broadest sense. So the question is: Should employers um, ensure that the workplace is um, safe at its minimum? And that's that's all. That's where the responsibility stops. Or is it really in their interest to ensure that employees are happy at work and they achieve what we call life satisfaction? The next question is: Well, um, sometimes people want things that are actually bad for them. So people sometimes want to smoke or, you know, they want to eat unhealthy foods. Is it really employers' business to tell them that that's unhealthy? Over in the States, where private health insurance is the norm, insurers are starting to bundle up this kit with their schemes. And it's a short step from there to employers becoming obliged to put it to use if they want to keep their insurance premiums affordable. We have had examples here of health insurers offering discounts if you go to the gym and you go to the gym a certain number of times per month and that's a proxy for um, exercise. But what are you doing when you're at the gym? You know, you're, you're going to the gym. You might be simply sitting in a jacuzzi for an hour. Um, but you can see the logic behind it. But I, I would suggest that it's faulty logic, um, that if you do this, we'll give you this in return. Well, what are you going to do? What is the thing that you're doing? And do we know, is there evidence that this wearable tech leads to improved health, well-being, and productivity? Um, not really. In fact, some of the research from the last few years has pointed to only a subsection of society benefits from this health-related wearable technology, and it's those people who have the time and the disposable income to be healthier anyway. So what sort of questions should management and HRs be asking themselves mm. about this? Uh, well, we've already published a report um, that presents different lenses for ethical decision-making that um, employers and managers can use to think through some of these issues. This is the CIPD's report, Ethical Decision-Making Eight Perspectives on Workplace Dilemmas. I'd like to pre-warn that the report doesn't give any answers. It's, a, <laughs> right. it's simply a tool for asking yourself these questions. But as you say, the, the questions are really important. Um, so one of the questions is, uh, what is that you're trying to achieve? What is your definition of well-being? What are the ultimate types of value you're deriving um, in your organisation? Another question could be about rights. So what are the fundamental rights that um, you are trying to protect here? What are the fu uh, fundamental human rights, perhaps, that an individual has in the workplace? And do they have this right for autonomy and self-determination for deciding themselves what's good for them? And the final question I'd say um, that would be relevant here is the one on voice. So how much say should employees have in uh, the rules, if you like, of the workplace, in what is okay and what okay in the workplace? How much should they be involved in determining how exactly they would become productive? So thinking, thinking about the data you gather about yourself mm -hmm. using a wearable tech, would you be happy to share it with a boss? Would I? Yeah, I would. I would because we're, we're a smallish team. There's high trust. There's a lot of um, transparency and it's a very flat organization. So definitely I would. Um, if I was asked that in previous em employees, no. No, I wouldn't, um, because it was a very different culture. Measures of productivity were different and there were different drivers. And I think that that's the core question to ask people. You know, the technology is there. Should we be using it? Well, just because it's there, no, we should be using it with intent. I think there is sometimes an assumption that simply because there is a trend or something is happening, it's inevitable. But for me, there is always a place for individual decision making. There is always personal judgment that you have to apply and what's right for you and for your company and for your context and not just what everyone else is doing. I would ask an organization who's planning to introduce this, what is the problem you're trying to solve? 
What is it that you really think you can achieve with this technology? Just because you can buy a couple of hundred step counters to give to your employees, you could also buy them all a book about fitness. You could also buy them all an hour of health coaching. What is it you think this technology will give you that won't be detracted from by the negative consequences of the perceptions of the employees? Wearable tech is full of possibilities, but it's easy to get swept up by that particular wave before you've really looked at all the potential ethical pitfalls. Ksenia and Richard's advice? Take a long, hard look before you dive in. That Valuing Your Talent report that Ksenia mentioned and lots of other useful tools are all waiting for you at valuingyourtalent.com. That's valuingyourtalent.com. She also mentioned the report Ethical Decision Making, Eight Perspectives on Workplace Dilemmas, and you'll find the link to it on the podcast homepage too. Thanks for listening.